When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast is equivalent to a TVMA rating, thanks to the author's strong and frequent use of adult language and graphic recollection of her sexual escapades. We strongly advise listening alone or with an extremely open-minded, politically incorrect companion, such as a gay bestie. Welcome, everybody, to another new bonus episode of How Bitches Are Made. I am your host, Rachel Melvin. I hope you all have had a wonderful month so far. I don't know about you, but it's felt like a very long month for me. (laughs) Maybe that's because it's tax time and I got hit pretty hard. I feel like everybody got hit pretty hard, as evident by the sudden stop in our Airbnb bookings. And yeah, financially, this month could not end soon enough. So if you're in the same boat, I feel your pain. And if you are not, I'm envious and enjoy life. This is actually, today is Sunday. You guys will be hearing this episode tomorrow. This is the closest I've ever cut it to airtime. (laughs) I've just been so effing busy. Ironically enough, I just wrote this piece, but... I feel like it's one of the best ones I've written. I'm really excited for this episode. Um, It's about authenticity, so let's get right into it. Be yourself. Do what makes you happy. Live your best life. Be authentically you. It's ironic we still hear these mantras amongst a culture so diligently designed around what is predominantly false and for show. We're surrounded by all kinds of media, depicting an ideal life that promises ultimate happiness and fulfillment. Yet, so many of us remain depressed. For the most part, the reason is seemingly obvious. We believe that things that work for others might also for us. By filling that hole inside us and relieving the pain we're sure is brought on by that missing piece we've yet to identify. But what seemingly works for one doesn't always work for all. And the only way to know what will is to know who we really are inside. Who we really are. It's a question with incredibly broad and nuanced answers. Yet, we search for answers in simple terms, designed to confine us to a box so that others have an easier time identifying our existence, especially ourselves. It's funny how much time and energy we spend fighting a system over profiling and stereotypes, despite how desperate and willing we are to define ourselves by simple terms that, in effect, do precisely that. Gay, straight, bi, non-binary, conforming, black, white, musician, farmer, businessman, city slicker, country dweller, Catholic, atheist, Republican, Democrat, Gemini, Pisces, vegan, carnivore. We believe these terms help define us, and if we don't, we certainly believe they help us define others. If we're all being truly honest, though, we know that in fact they do both. In a mere word, we believe we can break down our understanding of who someone is, 
categorizing them on their background, belief systems, family dynamics, diet, interests. The truth is, though, they're simply masks holding us back from discovering who we really are. Because doing the work to determine who that is requires us to dive deep beneath the surface, and presenting what we might find to the world is terrifying. Our nuances and internal contradictions might confuse people, alienate us, sell us out, cancel us, and separate us from the herd we're so afraid to stray from. What if we lose our job? What if we lose our family, our friends, our livelihood? What if we lose ourselves? Well, the truth is, we already have. We have little to no understanding of who we really are anyway. Why else would we need terms to feel seen, heard, understood, defined, or create a sense of belonging? We all need to feel like we're a part of something important and significant in order to mirror those feelings back onto ourselves. But it never dawns on us that we're perfectly capable of creating those feelings entirely for ourselves to begin with. Take me, for instance. I've spent years trying to discern who I am, based mostly on my profession, romantic interests, location, astrology, disposition, and interests. But the only thing I've determined to be fact is that looking for definition outside of myself is fucking impossible. Because I'm an ever-evolving creature, constantly learning from the people, things, and spaces around me. I don't fit into any archetype or category because I am my own. After all, isn't that the very definition of being an individual? Still, I can't deny this empty hole inside, begging to be filled. A looming question I feel I have to answer in order to achieve ultimate happiness. And it's single-handedly what motivates me to solve the riddle of who I am daily. When I was younger, like most people, I was often asked what I wanted to be when I grew up. My answers ranged from SNL cast member to author, interior designer, animator, artist, dancer, meteorologist, until I eventually landed on actor, deeming that to be a profession that would allow me to explore all the others through pretend storylines and the safest of circumstances. Years later, in one of the hardest industries in the world, I had seemingly made it, and it looked nothing like I thought it would. I didn't feel seen, I didn't feel heard, I didn't feel purposeful or fulfilled, I didn't feel like I fit in, I didn't even feel successful, I just felt like a fraud. Many artists echo that fraudulent feeling, citing that their deepest fear is being found out and discovered as such. But whenever my pleas for help were met with this kind of empathy, it just made me feel worse, because I knew for me that that feeling was different. I felt like an outsider, like a square peg that had somehow managed to fit inside of a round hole. It was no surprise that instead of feeling immense joy in the wake of such achievement, I felt underwhelmed. A mix of both realizing that the dream never looks as you expect it to, and perhaps I was living someone else's dream rather than my own. So much of life is dictated by how the world will see us, whether that's the literal world on the grandest of scales, or simply our smaller individual ones, comprised of parents, friends, teachers, and peers. But if we can't appropriately see ourselves, how will we ever be able to decipher the difference? 
We're afraid to trailblaze because of time. After all, what happens after we spend 20 years chasing a dream only to discover it isn't what truly brings us happiness? It's this fear that causes us to force it to, which only breeds resentment and attracts further discontent. We start blaming our unhappiness on others, if not taking it out on them, and then we feel guilty admitting to ourselves and others of our mistakes. We don't want to seem ungrateful, disappoint people, and we're fearful of what it would look like to start over. So we end up further and further down the path to the point of no return. We look for things to bring us joy, to make sense of our choices, to give us insight or guidance into what might make things easier for us to manage. But we'll never find it. We just aren't truly encouraged to. But what if something outside of our control breezes past us and offers us the affirmation and opportunity to readjust our course? What if we were in tune with ourselves just enough to where we might even stop and take notice? What if something so irrefutable transpires and suddenly we can no longer deny the truth we suddenly see inside ourselves? What if it caused us to stop caring about anything other than that one factor that suddenly caught our attention, and as a result, everything else starts falling into place? We find ourselves enlightened, celebrated, accompanied, championed, supported, and even revered. What if everything started to take shape quicker than we ever could have imagined, and the happiness begins to flood in? What if we were bold and brave enough to be truly authentic. Oh my God, that was such a hard one to get through recording. (laughs) Sundays are not good days to record. Noted, I had dirt bikes, hammers, saws, grinders, air compressors, wind, rattling. But aren't you guys glad you didn't hear any of that? Oh, the joys of podcast making. Okay, so... I really, really liked that piece. I hope you did too. Um, Like I said, it was something I wrote, I guess, like a little over 30 minutes ago now, but it's definitely something I've been mulling over the past week as I've been kind of trying to figure out what I want to talk about next with you all. And I think the theme that keeps kind of coming to the surface for me this last week especially, but I guess for the last two, is this concept of authenticity. So... (laughs) In the spirit of being authentic, I'm going to do something that I deem to be very bold and brave, and uh, here's why. What I'm about to tell you guys is stuff I've been highly discouraged from sharing, but also I'm afraid of the backlash that might, that might happen as a result, people reacting and not listening anymore because they don't like hearing what I have to say, which is fine. I prefer you be a little more open-minded <laughs> and understand that everybody's different than you and we're all learning and growing and have different stories and perspectives. And I like to think that if you are an avid listener of this podcast and supporter, that you tend to think that way anyway or you wouldn't still be listening. But here's my story. I moved to Los Angeles when I was 18. I did so because I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't know if I wanted to go to college to study interior design or if I wanted to go move to LA and be an actor. My dad majored in screenwriting and he never really pursued it, 
So I had the atypical experience of having parents that really supported me not going to college. My mom never went to college either. She's one of the smartest people I know. And they were both just really supportive of me moving to the city and giving acting a try if it was something I really wanted to do. And at that point, I had participated in a couple main stage performances in high school, and I really thought it was fun and exciting, and it was something that I wanted to explore. Uh, Neither of them were overbearing to the point where they were what I would classify as stage parents. They were very, hey, we support whatever you want to do. And the truth was, I was kind of indifferent if I'm being honest I really was torn I didn't know I hadn't done enough theater to know that it was something I was very passionate about and I hadn't done enough design work either for that matter I had taken one course as an elective and I thought it was really fun so I thought college would be a good way to go explore that but at the same time I didn't really see myself as a college goer I loved learning I loved education I had no problem with the concept of going to school I just didn't feel like it was my future for whatever reason. And on my 18th birthday in the state of Arizona, you were still legally able to gamble at the casinos. I think it was like in May, they changed the law to where you had to be 21. So that was very March, April, May. I had like three or four months when I got to go gamble. And as I've said before, my grandma lived with us and she was an avid bingo player. So I went and I played bingo with her and I happened to win the only jackpot of the day that had a single winner. So I didn't have to split it with anybody. And the amount that I won was the exact same amount of money that the acting classes in Los Angeles that my family and I were looking at taking cost. So I took that as a sign from the universe to pursue acting instead of interior design. And that's what happened. I started, my parents would drive me in every weekend to take these acting classes. And then my acting coach eventually told me I needed to move there so I could be a part of a showcase that was I think it was like an eight to 12 week course and at the end you would perform in front of industry professionals and hopefully you would get signed by an agent which is what ended up happening for me and from that point on I'm lucky to say I was a working actor I worked every single year up until four years ago when I have not worked since A large part of that now, I would say, is because of the pandemic. And this is the part that I've been highly discouraged from sharing. And the reason I'm going to share it, which I think is important to explain, is because I personally have not heard a lot of stories similar to my own out there. And I think these stories should be shared so that people are exposed to more experiences other than their own or the one narrative that is being constantly reiterated on media. A long time ago, I started getting really bad migraines, and this happened, there was a a weekend when we were promoting Days of Our Lives, and um, it was for Not Scary Farm, and I went with my friend, and for those of you that don't know, they follow you around with a photographer from something called Getty Images, and this photographer, they have the cameras in these really hard shell cases so that they're silenced and there's no flash. So it really makes it seem as though the camera's not there. Well, I had a cameraman behind me and my friend in front of me, and one of the guys in the maze is kind of like blew in my ear, and it caused me to shiver and like turn my body a certain way where I threw my head back. And or, I'm sorry, I threw my head forward. I mixed this up. The photographer was in front of me. My friend was behind me. And I threw my head forward, and I hit the camera, which the cameraman had on his back at that point. He hadn't restationed and repositioned. 
And these cases are very heavy and very hard. And then kind of over dramatically, I threw my head back in the opposite direction. And my my friend happened to have her head forward. So then I hit her head. So I'd hit my head twice, very hard. I was like 22, didn't think anything of it, whatever. Then we proceeded to go on, I can't remember the name of the roller coaster, but it was their old wooden one. I want to say it was like Ghost Rider or something like that. And right when it took off, my neck snapped. And when I say snapped, I mean it felt like a noodle. Like It felt like I had a noodle for a neck. I couldn't hold my head up driving home. Actually, when I, I pulled into our garage, so my friend that went with me was also my roommate at the time, I pulled into the garage and I knew something was wrong because I turned way too soon and I ended up like turning the side of my car into the garage entrance. So I totally damaged my car and then I had to wake up to do a day of days event which was on Universal City Walk. And I remember multiple people coming up to me thinking I had taken a large amount of drugs, both people that were fans and people that were on our cast because I was so out of it and loopy and kind of just floating there. And I I honestly don't even remember being there. Then I went home and I slept for 18 hours, which as you all know is very dangerous. So I clearly had a very, very serious head injury and I never got it looked at. And it was from that point forward, I've always suffered from migraines. So a, a couple, two or three years after that, I finally got with it enough to go get it looked at and I got these scans these MRIs and it came back that I have what is an AVM in my brain what is an AVM an AVM is an arterial venous malformation according to Google this is the definition it's an abnormal tangle of blood vessels connecting arteries and veins which disrupts normal blood flow and oxygen circulation and um, the biggest concern related to AVMs is that they will cause uncontrolled bleeding or hemorrhage So a lot of people that have had strokes will have had AVMs that basically rupture. AVMs, from what I was told, are hereditary. And being that my mom had a stroke at 27, one could then conclude she probably had an AVM. That's why I have mine. That's why she had a stroke. Therefore, we have been hyper vigilant and diligent about taking care of my brain health, I'll call it. So why am I telling you all about my medical history? when I normally would not because I don't think medical history is anyone's fucking business. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I am choosing to share my medical history with you all today because I want to be authentic about what has transpired for me in the last two years as a result of my medical history. You can probably gauge where I'm going with this. When the vaccines for COVID first came out, I will be very honest with you guys. I was reluctant to get it just because I don't like vaccines. Not to say I don't like vaccines for people. 
I think they work for some people. I'm just a person that has not responded positively to any vaccine I've ever received. This has caused a lot of friction, tension, and family arguments. I didn't see my nephew for the first six to eight months of his life because I refused to get a vaccine that I needed to to see him. And my sister got very upset with me. I just didn't feel it was right to put into my body. I want to be clear for everyone freaking out right now. I'm not saying that I don't think vaccines are good for children and older people and some people that need them. I do. Just for me, as an adult, as a 37-year-old woman right now, very, very healthy, who never gets fucking sick, never got COVID, knock on wood, and still haven't, I don't like vaccines. However, I've also never been in a pandemic. So, as the vaccines were being introduced... I had some concerns. One, I don't really like vaccines. I don't typically respond well to them. Two, the vaccine hasn't been out very long. I have some concerns about that. Three, the FDA hasn't approved it. Overall, they just approved it for emergency use. These were all concerns that were going through my head that were just making me more hesitant to get them. And to be honest with you, I wasn't even thinking about my AVM in the beginning because that was overshadowed by the fact that people were starting to lose their jobs if they weren't vaccinated or willing to get vaccinated. So I kind of lived in blissful ignorance thinking this wasn't going to affect me until one day I got an audition that said, please include in your slate. And for those of you who don't know, your slate is what goes either at the beginning or at the end of a self-tape audition where you say your name, your location, your height, and apparently now your vaccine status, which was what was being requested of me. And I immediately felt like that was wrong. There was no thinking involved. It was a knee-jerk reaction. That's wrong. I don't feel like that is something that should even be being discussed in what is essentially a resume submission. If I was on what they call a shortlist, <laughs> that's fine. When you're close to being hired, that's fine. But when you're literally submitting a resume, which is what I would compare a self-tape audition to, I just feel it's wrong. And uh, I didn't do it. And then, of course, it caused this conversation to transpire with my team about my vaccination status, which I also felt was very wrong and invasive of a conversation to be having, though I understood why it was happening. And what ultimately happened was I was deliberating whether or not it was worth it for me to get so that I could keep working. And There was something holding me back, and until I was sure what it was, I didn't want to make any decisions. So that, of course, dragged conversations on for months, which inevitably caused me to have uh, gastrointestinal issues. I had to go get an endoscopy, and it turned out to just be stress-related. And it was every time I had a conversation, my stomach would act up for like a week. And it was just a level of anxiety that I couldn't deal with and the pressure was mounting and then my mom when I finally told her like hey I I think I'm gonna get this vaccine so I can work reminded me of my AVM and I know it sounds silly to say that someone had to remind me of this AVM but you have to remember it's microscopic and it's not painful so it's very easy for me to kind of just like forget about it and unless there's like some weird situation like I just started having the reason I told you about the day of days thing was because from that moment on I started getting these migraines and as you get older you get more symptoms with your migraines and I think it was two years ago 
I was, Kevin rushed me to the ER because all of a sudden I couldn't read and I couldn't remember his name or my dog's name. And I thought, well, this is it. This is the moment my AVM is rupturing. I'm having a stroke. And I told him, like, get me to the hospital. Well, that's not what was happening. What was happening is I was experiencing my first aura. And what I've since learned is there's four different kinds of auras. And I was having three of the four, which causes cognitive issues, motor skill issues, um, tingling in your body, vision obstruction, and all that was happening. And it was super, super scary. And it's not until moments like that that I remember, oh, yeah, I have this thing in my brain that I need to constantly think about. And so my mom said to me that she didn't think it was smart for me to get this vaccine, being that it hadn't been out long enough to see the short-term or long-term effects. And we don't know how it affects AVMs. And is it really worth it to get something? Because it is. It's a roll of the dice. It's a gamble. Is it worth it to get that just for a job? It was so surreal that I even still, as I say, I have a hard time believing it. Yeah, I guess if I put something in my body, it can cause really catastrophic effects in me. And the only reason I'd be doing it truly, for me, judge all you want, the only reason that I would be doing it is so that I can work. I live in a very rural area. I don't even feel like I need to explain this, but I will. I live in a very rural area our infection rate was and always has been very, very low. Um, as I said, I've never gotten the virus. That's me knocking on wood. I've been around people who tested positive. I just haven't gotten it. And for me, I think that's because it's the same reason I just don't like vaccines in general for myself. I have a very, very strong immune system. And any time that I kind of said, eh, fuck it, I'm sure it'll be fine, a story would come out that I viewed as kind of the universe dropping hints and cautioning me to not do it. The Heather McDonald story, the Bob Saget story, the Haley Bieber story. And I was like, okay, you know what? It's, I feel like I shouldn't get it. Let me explore getting a medical exemption. And I called three of my doctors and they all agreed and said, yes, you're higher risk for getting the vaccine than you are for getting infected. And I said, great. Not great, but great. Can you write me a medical exemption? And all three of them said, mm, we'd love to, but we can't because the medical board will take away our license or they've threatened to. And I was like, what? That doesn't even make sense, which is what caused me to contact the second doctor and then the third doctor. And then I just I just thought it was so odd. And I was like, well, that's it. Like, I can't work then. I can't get a medical exemption and I don't feel comfortable getting this vaccine. My friend, I almost told you who she was, but I should probably keep her info discreet. She got offered a really, really big job recently, and she got, I think, one or two vaccines, and they needed her to get the, the boosters, and she couldn't get it because her uncle just passed away from a blood disorder that she also has, and they said it was because of complications from the vaccine. And so she even tried to get a medical exemption, and they would not do it. And then I started seeing the same sentiment being echoed on social media. I would tell my close friends my experience, and then they started sending me things that I already knew. And I'm like, yeah. And now it's, you know, become more and more public knowledge. But there were all of these things that kept happening at the time. And it was highly stressful and very invasive and very uncomfortable, to say the least. And I'll tell you all the reasons why. One which is obvious what we're talking about, all of a sudden I couldn't work in my field that I've spent 20 years building a career and I can't work anymore. Two, people that assumed I was vaccinated, the way that they would talk about the unvaccinated was so disgusting to me. 
that it made me view my relationships differently. And I knew if those people knew that I wasn't vaccinated, they would certainly treat me differently and never talk to me again. And they might not still after hearing this episode, assuming they listen to this podcast. Family members that assumed we were vaccinated said that we couldn't come around for the holidays. We couldn't go into Los Angeles anymore without a vaccine. Uh, We can't go to several places for our honeymoon because we don't have a vaccine card. There's a lot of discrimination. That is what it is that's going on for people that are unvaccinated. And I think the broad understanding of these people like myself is that they're conspiracy theorist patriots who are too prideful and selfish to just go quote-unquote get the jab and do what's right for the greater good and any fallout that happens as a result is brought on entirely by ourselves which is so fucking ignorant and inaccurate it's infuriating there are so many different reasons why people aren't getting the vaccine and some of them are like mine it's a medical issue and I don't know if people don't believe that or what But the fact that I'm even having to explain all of this is problematic. But at the same time, I'm doing so. It's my choice because I feel people need to know other experiences. They need to know the nuances and specificities of people's life, which create this internal struggle or confusion or reluctance or hesitancy or just straight up denial of getting it. And I don't think it's about like vaccines are bad for some people. I think it's just the ability to have the choice. (laughs) I'm telling you all of that because this topic alone, truly alone, has been kind of the tipping point for me to figure out what is authentically me. And I think one of the hardest parts about going through all of this was that I felt like I was going through it alone and I couldn't talk about it with anyone. And I couldn't talk about it with anyone because there was all this fear, this fear of losing my representation, this fear of losing my career, this fear of losing my following and my fans. I've since realized, like, look, the the people that really like you for the right reasons are going to still be there for you. And the only thing that it was doing was just making me feel suppressed and oppressed and depressed. And I was watching all these other people using their platforms for good. And that was all I wanted to do. I wanted to be there at the beginning saying, hey, like, this is weird shit going on with the doctors. And this is wrong that the government is making it mandatory for people to do this. I know that's going to upset a lot of people that don't agree with it. But that doesn't mean I shouldn't be sharing my perspective. Because we've talked about this so many times. If you only hear one perspective, perspective everyone's the same everyone thinks the same there's no room for growth there's no room for conversation there's no room for evolution it's not good it is good that people disagree it means that evolvement and growth is happening and can happen and we don't have to make everyone think like us we can think for ourselves and everything will still be okay I know we all want to make the world a better place we all have different ways and ideas of how that's possible and how we can do so But we all just need to meet in the fucking middle. And creating all of these rifts and divisions between people is just doing more harm than good. Joe Rogan, I know everyone has opinions about even Joe Rogan, but like Joe Rogan once a long time ago had a guest on that was talking about a helicopter propeller. And he was like, if you have people on one side of the propeller and people on the other side of the propeller, the propeller is going to snap. If you put the weight towards the middle, the propeller can keep going. And I just thought that that was such a great analogy because it really depicts what's going on in life right now. Like our society will break if we can't meet in the fucking middle. 
Anywho, it was very hard for me to see all these people making a positive change and speaking their truth. And I'm watching them and I'm like, they're just being authentically themselves. And they have millions of followers and they're getting all these offers to do things. Like, why are people telling me that I have to stay silent because I'll lose everything when I'm watching these people say what I want to say and they're gaining everything. And their response was, well, they don't have as much to lose as you. Here's the thing. I don't have anything to fucking lose. That's the greatest thing about getting older and being in your 30s. I give no fucks anymore. And so I go back to saying that this issue alone was kind of what helped me figure out who I was authentically. Because I thought, Who am I without this career? If I'm not worried about a career and I'm not worried about acting a certain way to preserve this career, what freedoms does that give me? And it gave me a fucking bevy. All of a sudden, I felt all this creative energy just like pour out of me that's been missing for years. The passion was gone. The excitement was gone. The motivation to make a difference or tell a story. Just all of that had just been dried up. And I'm I'm sitting here now on the sidelines watching the industry move on without me. I can't be a part of it. And I'm starting to see things I never saw before that I don't like and that are making me feel like You know, maybe all those times I felt like an an alien or I didn't feel like I really belonged. Maybe I was onto something I didn't understand yet because ever since I feel more alive and I feel more me and I feel like so much more is possible and so much more excites me. And I want to be very clear, I'm not dumping on the industry. I'm simply exploring this kind of complicated and perplexing relationship that I've had with it from the beginning, really, that has just come to a head now when I've been forced to really identify who I am outside of the way I've always identified myself, which was as an actor. I look back and I'm like, I never really got along with actors. I always got along better with the crew. I could always relate more to the crew. I don't like attention. I feel uncomfortable on red carpets. I have social anxiety. I don't love going to events. And I just started to realize like maybe this isn't the career that's best suited for my personality. And I started thinking about interior design again. And that was sort of the thing I fell back on as a way to make money and occupy my time in this lapse of ability for me to act and I've just realized how much joy and purpose and fulfillment it brings me that acting didn't and I don't know if that's because I was in a different headspace back then or what I guess I'm still trying to like sift my way through it now but on on the basic very like factual scale my personality is much more suited for interior design I'm great at being my own boss I'm very good with numbers and budgeting I'm very clean I love aesthetics I love thrift shopping I love color and pattern and design I love making ugly spaces feel new and exciting again and creating better energy for people and I love using design to affect people's psychology and I always think about My most emotional moments have to do with buildings. This sounds so stupid. I get so fucking offended by an ugly building. Like bad architecture makes me angry. (laughs) 
And then there was one time when my old neighborhood in LA got historically preserved and I cried. And they were tearing down, this was before it was preserved, obviously, they were tearing down all these Spanish-style 1930s bungalows and building these really just horribly offensive spaceship-looking, boring-ass McMansions. And I was like, what the fuck? These are so oversized. They're so overbearing. They're just, it's like a dog coming in and just pissing all over everything. It's like, we get it. You have money. It, It was so offensive to me. I'm like, at least build your oversized mansion Spanish style so it fits in with the rest of the neighborhood. I was so, you can hear I'm still upset about it. And I just thought that means something. These things that are occurring in me and creating these emotions and this certainty and this kind of affirmative action in me are things I need to pay attention to. So in this piece, when I talk about what if something outside of our control breezes past us and offers us the affirmation and opportunity to readjust our course? So obviously, when I was debating getting the shot or like continuing to act, I guess, it really kind of took away the responsibility I had to make my own decision, right? A decision was being made for me. And if you think back to how I started the commentary here, that's sort of what I waited for the universe, if you will, to do with acting. I waited for a sign from the universe, aka gave the universe the responsibility to make a decision for me, and then went with that to explore this 20-year career of acting. Here I am now 20 years later going, God, do I really want to walk away from everything I've worked so hard for over the last 20 years to what, just start over again? That's really scary. I don't even know where to begin. I'm fucking middle-aged. Like, I want to have kids. I can't have kids if I don't have a, like, stable foundation and income. Well, I'm going to. (laughs) So... Here comes this big thing that's beyond my control, right? That really takes the responsibility off me. I don't have to make that brave and bold decision to kind of abandon this 20-year-long journey I've been on to start over. I'm kind of having to do that against my will. But I'm also applying everything we've talked about these last few weeks to seize the opportunity, look at it as a positive, and use it to my advantage to ultimately achieve happiness. And so far, I can tell you, I do feel way more fulfilled and purpose-filled. Like, We went to this estate sale. If you guys follow me on Instagram, you saw a story I posted, I guess what would be a couple days now by the time you're listening to this, a couple days ago. We went to this estate sale to look for silverware for our wedding. I've had this question posed at me too, which is also ignorant and annoying. Why do you need a thrift shop if you're rich? Just because you're on TV a couple times and we're in a movie doesn't mean you're rich. But even if I were rich, I like fucking saving money. I don't care how much money someone has. That just seems logical to me. But also, there is something about thrift shopping that I am fucking addicted to. I love the hunt. I'll I'll make, it's like a scavenger hunt for adults. I'll make a list of things that I want. And you're like, well, let's see if I can find it. And then you'll go and find it. And not only will you find it against all odds, you'll find it for dirt fucking cheap. And it just makes everything so much better. So we got a bid for rentals for our wedding and it was like $1.50 a fork and $1.50 a knife and $1.50 a spoon and $1.50 a blah, 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 blah. Well, that adds up when you have a lot of people. So I think our our utensil bid alone was like $900. And we're like, okay, well, we can get that off. We can get our coffee mugs off by just doing thrift shopping. And it's made wedding planning so much more fun for me. Again, just another sign that that might be the line of work I'm cut out for. I love it. I love the people that I meet when I do it. I love sifting through gross things and making things new again and giving them new life and new purpose. 
I love being connected to history and these things that have been around for so long that were made so much better. I love mixing and matching. So now all of a sudden, I'm not planning for a wedding. I'm designing my wedding aesthetic. And it makes it so much more exciting for me. So there's just been all these things like, like last night, I couldn't even fall asleep because I just kept thinking about all the other things that I saw at the estate sale that we didn't buy and what I could do with them if I had more properties or more clients. It is just so fun and fulfilling. And the high that I get, there's no problem I can't solve. There's nothing that feels daunting or overwhelming or scary for me. And I'm just thinking my feelings and my happiness feel so different in comparison to this other career. And the other night when I was stoned, I had this thought because I do think a lot of us think, well, if we abandon something we work so hard on, like, what does that mean? What was it all for? It just feels like a waste. And for me, there was a level of feeling ungrateful. Like, if I heard somebody wanted to be a famous all-star athlete or actor or musician and they were set up to do that and they did it and then they were just like you know what this really isn't for me and walked away from it all I'd be like are you fucking kidding me I would die for that but here's the thing that's not a reason to keep doing it if it doesn't bring you fulfillment because it's your life at the end of the day and you can't live it for someone else and there was a time where I I got on the phone with my parents and I said to them you know i feel really bad letting you know that I think design makes me a little bit happier. I'm not saying I want to quit acting, but being that I can't do it right now, I I really am enjoying this kind of this new avenue my life is taking and I feel really guilty for enjoying it and I feel really guilty that it might be making me happier. And it was such a weird feeling to experience that I felt guilty about admitting this. And I think because I felt a responsibility to, you know, make my parents' sacrifices worth it or live out their dreams so that they could live vicariously through me because they sacrificed their dreams so that we could have ours. There were so many reasons why I felt like I was choosing the path I was and, and none of them were necessarily because this was something I felt like I was born to do and I, I could eat, sleep, drink, breathe and bleed it think that's how you should feel about something. So I had this thought when I was stoned about what if life is just this gift, which we know it to be, for us to play and experience everything that the world has to offer. And what if that includes having multiple careers? If I think back to when I was younger and I wanted to be all these different things and then I was like, oh, I'll be an actor because I can be all those things. I think that's kind of my MO is I just want to experience everything until it satisfies me. And when it stops satisfying me, maybe that's that's the duration. That's all it was supposed to last. And now it's time for me to go on and do something else. Isn't that the whole point of life to where then I can look back on my deathbed and be like, I, I did it. I experienced everything that the world had to offer. And I just thought that that was an interesting and different way of looking at life. I think so many times we think that life has to be and look a certain way, but it doesn't. It just has to fulfill and satisfy us. If it's not doing either of those things, I I think we're doing it wrong. All of this is to just say that this catastrophic disruption in my life caused me to really get down to the bottom of who I actually was, what got me going, what made me come alive, 
And I remember an ex-boyfriend once told me, he's like, you seem really happy doing design. You should quit acting. And I got so offended because I was like, what? You don't believe in me as an actor? You don't support me? And in hindsight now, I look and I'm like, no, he just saw a lightness versus a darkness. I light up when I do design. I can't, I can't deny that. I do. But at the same time, when I get a really good script, I also light up. I think my thing is I'm just, I'm burnt out and I'm very picky and I, I feel very hurt and betrayed by my business in a lot of ways surrounding this pandemic in particular. And I know that there's a lot of my peers that feel the same way and they've chosen the path of just staying in silence and waiting for this storm to pass. And that's just not my style. I don't, it doesn't bother me that that's the choice they're making at all. I don't judge them for it. In fact, I really understand why. I just feel better talking about all of this out in the open than I do keeping it to myself. It feels like I'm lying. And the number one thing I would tell you about who I am is I'm an honest fucking person. And in the last few episodes, actually, there's been things that I contemplated editing out and I've kind of pushed myself to keep them in there because I really am trying to challenge myself to be more authentic because I think it's a domino effect that inspires other people to live more authentically. And then it inspires most people to start having more honest conversations. And we've become such an overly sensitive world right now that I think it's effectively hurting us. And I think we all need to have more honest conversations that kind of sting a little bit. And we just need to not let them affect us so much. We do have the choice of whether or not they affect us. And that's something that I've been learning as I've been going through all of this is I am in charge of my own happiness. I'm totally capable of cultivating it for myself. I don't need acting opportunities. I don't need auditions. I don't need clients or design projects. I have everything at my disposal to do these things that make me happy on my own. And in the process, as we weed out these people or things that don't serve us anymore or disagree with us or make us feel bad or ashamed, as we've talked about in former episodes, we just, again, make space to attract the things that are better suited for us. And it just, the happiness does flood in. It's like all of a sudden you're attracting like-minded people, which I want to say again is very different than exact-minded people, like-minded people. And for me, that really means, I mean, I've had two conversations with new people in my life where they've disagreed with me on like the vaccine stuff. But you know what? We still talk to each other because we respectfully agree to disagree. And like we are still able to even talk about it without getting into a crazy argument. It's so lovely. Like that's how the world should be. And what always happens in those scenarios is I'm like, oh, that's an interesting insight. Okay. I didn't I hadn't heard that before. And then it caused me to go back and think about it and kind of alter my my opinion a little bit more. Like that's the beauty of life. That's the way it should be. We shouldn't just be like, fuck you. You don't agree with me? Delete. Cancel. Unfollow. Unsubscribe. Whatever the fuck you do. If that's you. I really challenge you to just be more accepting and open-minded. Especially with yourself. So we're all very judgmental of who we are and who we think we should be. But what happens if we weren't? What happens if we give ourselves permission to play? What happens if we make it okay to try new things and make mistakes and fall on our ass and start over? Because as much as we're afraid of doing all of those things, there is so much to be gained by being authentic and honest and doing the things that feel true to who we are. And I really believe that that is the ultimate and only, if not only, path to happiness 
Because if you're doing what feels right to you and honest, I just don't know how that could be a bad thing. I mean, in normal circumstances, obviously there's exceptions to everything. There are people that commit crimes and I will never fucking understand that. And they think it's totally right and just. I'm not talking to those crazies. I'm talking to people, ordinary, everyday people like you and I. So many times I said in this piece that people try to put themselves in a box without realizing that that's what they're doing. They try to find their identity in these causes or things that make them feel like they have a community. You can have a community. You can have your own community that you curate and create on your own. And you can have purpose and meaning and significance and importance and stand for something without labeling yourself. I mean, it's so funny to me how we hate labels, but we're so quick to wear one. And I get it. It's because it's the quickest way to try to assume identity. And it's the most easily accessible way to do so. It's not a short answer who we are. It's an ever-changing answer that happens over the course of a lifetime. And we need to understand that. We can understand that these identifying factors that make up who we are are just that. They're not who we are. If you're a gay person, you're a person that happens to be gay. You're not a gay person. I hope you understand what I the difference of what I just said. I'll use my sister as an example because I know she won't give two shits. She's a conservative lesbian and people are always like, what? How can that coexist within itself? That's the beauty of nuance. She understands that these two things sometimes can create internal conflict, but that's because nothing is black and white. Nothing is cut and dry. Everything's a gray area and you have to understand that and be forgiving and know that there's room for error because we're human and we're flawed and things are complicated and nothing's ever as it seems and we constantly learn something about something that we didn't know for years and now we know it's bad for us and okay, now we have to reshape our opinions. That's normal. That's life. It's fine. You get out of your 20s you learn things that you're like oh geez if only I'd known that in my 20s like my 20s were spent trying to find out who I was through the people I dated I called that girlfriend contouring I tried on all these different outfits to figure out who I was am I a surfer girl am I arm candy am I a fitness chick am I a yoga chick am I a hippie burnout am I a hipster am I a rock star am I goth am I emo who the fuck knows we're all trying it out and guess what I can't tell you what I am right now I'm People have described me as an an enigma wrapped in a conundrum, wrapped in a riddle, whatever the fuck that means. Even this podcast, I'll tell you I'm a bitch. But we talk about bitch meaning being in total control of herself. It doesn't mean I'm a bitch, I'm a nasty, mean person. It means I'm a person that's learned enough about who I am to know what I stand for so I don't fall for anything, but I can still be open-minded and respectful to people that have something to teach me and that I have something to teach too. I don't think that we can be afraid to be who we are or to even try to figure out who we are because that fear is what delays the process and it's also what confuses us. We have to know that we're all much more alike than we realize and that we all want the same things despite how it sounds from times it's just miscommunication which is going to be another topic we discuss. 
we have to understand that we really are all in this together and we are trying our best. And by being authentic to ourselves and others, we're being authentic to others. And we are going to cultivate that life that we want and attract the people in our life that are meant for us and that are meant to make us better. I really, really believe that. And me creating this episode and saying everything that I have been convinced to be hesitant to say is a step towards doing that for both you and I. I'm trying to be less fearful of being who I am and expressing what I believe and what my experience is. I shouldn't have to be ashamed and I shouldn't be ashamed of anything that I've said on this episode, but there's still going to be a part of me that after I release it is like, oh my God, how are people going to receive this? And I just have to continue to remind myself, it doesn't matter. You're going to receive it the way you want to receive it. I hope that it's the way that I want you to receive it, but I also acknowledge that that might not be what happens. I am doing this because this is me. This is who I am. This is what I believe. This is what being honest and forthcoming with myself has taught me that I want to share with people. And whatever the fallout is as a result, like I'll deal with it. It's not going to change how I think or feel or how I behave. I'm very happy with the way I handle myself in all these regards. And that's the thing we talked about too. Like when you are really yourself, there's all this power that comes from it because you really don't care anymore. There's so little I actually give a shit about. And along those lines, one of my favorite books is The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. Great book. You should read it if you haven't. It is so liberating. And it's one of those books that I feel like you should read over and over and over again to deprogram and reprogram yourself into realizing that like we're just a blip in time on a a speck on a marble. Like we are very insignificant. We don't matter in the grand sense of things. That's why make this journey of life the best it can be by being you and experiencing all it has to offer and being a kind person and doing the best that you can because the more you put that out there, the more you're going to receive of it back. That's really all I have to say this week. I hope this kind of speaks to what you might be going through right now. If there's like any part of you you're ashamed to show or any part of you that you're hesitant to share, express how you're feeling, like I would encourage you to like turn towards it and challenge yourself to do it because more often than not it is liberating and if it does have consequences good or bad you'll deal with them and you'll be okay and the one thing I did want to say that was something I expressed to my sister at one point when she came out was and I know it's very easy for me to say as a straight straight person because I don't ever have to deal with this or go through it but be you be you without apology And if people don't like that you're gay or different or insert whatever thing you want there, that's their problem. It's not yours. Yes, it could affect your relationship. But again, it'll create more space for better relationships. And I do think that over time, with a lot of self-reflection, people will come to realize that if it doesn't bother you, they don't have as much power over you. And then they kind of soften up and get over it a little bit sooner. But don't let outside influence or opinions scare you into hiding be who you are we're all beautiful we're all different we all have something to contribute to the world and share with other people and we can do that without forcing our agenda on anyone else and that's all I'm gonna say 
I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I hope that you receive it the way I want you to. I hope that you don't banish me to hell for not being vaccinated. But if you do, I guess I'll see you there because that's what an asshole would do. (laughs) All right. On that note, uh, consistency is key. Stay bitchy, my friends, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. How Bitches Are Made is written and produced by Rachel Melvin. 